Hljaim es uraim. Jo es teit kivanok es kusuntem unuket amadjar ministerelnok elo adashan. Jurshani Ferenc. Well, the Hungarians among you will be relieved that that is the end of my attempt to massacre your uh, language. Um, I should uh, apologize uh, for my appearance. Uh, this is not because the Prime Minister and I um, <laughs> had an argument. I was reminded of the old joke, English joke about Hungarians, which is that Hungarians are extremely polite and always let you go first into a revolving door but always come out first. Um, but that uh, did not happen. Uh, it's a small operation I had, uh, which is of uh, no great interest uh, to the Hungarian society. Um, now, we are delighted to welcome the Prime Minister here this evening. I have had the pleasure of hearing him speak before. Uh, last summer, we both spoke at a conference in uh, Athens, uh, and therefore I am particularly looking forward uh, to this because he gave a wonderful and lively speech uh, down in Greece. Uh, this is the latest uh, in a European Institute series on the future of Europe, which we run in partnership with the Financial Times, in fact, with the FT uh, business part of the Financial Times group. And in that series, we've had uh, a number of politicians from across uh, Europe, and particularly uh, prime ministers from Estonia and uh, elsewhere uh, to talk about the way they see the future of Europe. Um, and while in the rest of this country uh, Europe uh, is the love that dare not speak its name, um, you barely can't mention it in uh, British political circles as you all know, um, we nonetheless think at the LSE uh, that the way our continent is evolving, in particular the future of the European Union, is a subject of great interest uh, to us. So, um, we are delighted to welcome a contribution from Hungary to this series, and I pass straight over to the Prime Minister. He has, of course, been Prime Minister since uh, 2004, uh, was re-elected in uh, 2006, and we are delighted to see you here at the school. Thank you. Good evening, everybody. Many, many thanks for being invited. It's my pleasure to be here. You are here? Okay. Uh, as I know, we have a very strict rule. We do have more or less 90, uh, 90 minutes. I would like to offer a fair deal to you. Uh, we should separate this 90% into two equal parts. In the first part, I would like to ask your attention to grab your time. And in the second half, uh, you would be free to ask me. And I can promise to you that I answer to your question as sincere as I can, regardless the troubles I caused to myself with some <laughs> very sincere answers and speeches. 
Because I would like to tell a lot to you in this first 40 minutes. Although I do not want to bore you, uh, but I decided to principle myself and uh, I'm addressing uh, my speech in a very closed way. I would like to ask you your patience. It's not a very sick. It just seems to be. <laughs> Let us start with a short quotation from Ralph Darendorf. Perhaps you know it. The issue in most countries remains the same. How to provide a sustainable basis for economic growth in the harsh climate of the global marketplace, while at the same time maintaining solidarity and a sense of fairness throughout society. However, governments must try to square this circle. Squaring the circle is impossible, at least in terms of mathematics. However, in terms of politics and societal life, we not only can, but we also have to do it. And we have some evidence that it's possible if we remind ourselves of the example of countries like Denmark, Finland, and many aspects, Great Britain. If you look at these success stories, we find that high economic and social performance is based on wide social acceptance, that the market and social approaches, the individual and public responsibilities, national pride and open society are not conflicting, but complementary. In case of the most successful countries, the horizon of social thinking and practice has changed from short-term challenges to long-term adaptation, from direct state protection to preparing the people for obtaining a competitive social attitude, culture, and knowledge, and from short-term growth to a sustainable growth with high environmental consciousness. If I would like to describe these national success stories, we generally use the following terms and expressions. Cautiousness, long-term vision, trust and cooperation, partnership, investment, openness, private initiatives, responsibility. These qualities are the feature of mature, democratic, self-confident societies. Where we are with these features, not ignoring the very important differences between Poland, Czech Republic, Slovakia and Hungary, we may see one very similar characteristic in the history of these countries. This is the lack of a long democratic tradition, national sovereignty and uninterrupted social progress. In our region, there is even a country, the state independence of which is not more than 15 years old. Some other countries are very proud of their centuries or thousand years old history, but these countries lost their independence and were ruled by foreign powers and used to be parts of foreign empires 
for centuries. Until the very deep political and economic transformation in the late 80s and early 90s, which is called the change of regimes, the peoples of these countries did not consider their respective states to be their own. Hurting and breaching the rules was seen as a patriotic act. The most important personal obligation was to survive and not to plan for long-term future. If you are subordinated, if you do not have any rights, your responsibilities are also limited. These nations' histories are characterized by failed revolutions and top-down reforms. Never in our history, except for the last 70 years, we have experienced the feeling that the state is ours. But the situation has changed. We cut back our countries. It's hard to understand for many that the rule of the democratic state is our rule. Keeping the rule is our interest. We are not alone, but we are, create, but we are creating a democratic community in which rights and responsibilities go hand in hand. Understanding and accepting the democratic duties and responsibilities, the consequences of independence and democratic social and political life, the terms and conditions of the social market economy, this is the most challenging task of these new democracies. We have changed our constitutions and we have built up new democratic institutions in a couple of years. We have transformed our state-owned, state-planned economy into a market economy in just five to ten years. But changing the mindset, the attitude of the people requires much longer time than we had ever expected. Let me share some evidence with you based on scientific research. The American Economic Review recently published a relevant study about the differences between the two halves of Germany. The results are thought-provoking. Having lived under communism makes people favor state redistribution to a significantly higher extent than their West German peers. This effect gradually fades away. The change is already measurable, but it is a very, very slow process. The authors extrapolate that it should take another 20 to 40 years for the average attitudes of East and West Germans to converge. We do not have any cause to question that this phenomenon is not unique to Germany. Let me quote here Sir Karl Popper. I guess you know him very well. It's a very short sonnet. Institutions alone are never sufficient if not tempered by traditions. What is the message of Popper? I think that the modernization must not lean on institutional transformation only, but simultaneously 
on supportive social attitudes and tradition. In our case, as I introduced and described above, we are missing the coexistence of supportive tradition and modern democratic institutions and rule. This is the main conflict of our societies. Democratizing without democratic tradition, having an open society and economy without relevant organic traditions, making the people accept the obligation of cooperation and competition at the same time while not having any similar imprinting in their social genes. Let me sum up bluntly. We have democratic institutions in place, but traditions and attitudes are not matching them. In the last couple of years, the countries of our region became allowed with unprecedented political and social conflicts, street demonstrations and fights, various signs of political and social uncertainty. What happened to those countries that were welcomed very warmly and were seen with a great interest by our West European counterparts after the fall of Berlin Wall? Is it a coincidence that we can see a very similar turbulence in all countries, regardless of the color of their governments, the structure of the government coalition, or measurable results of their economic performance? It was a question. I tried to answer it. I do not want to underestimate the impact of different national measures, policies, and decisions, but I tend to believe that these political, social uncertainties and turbulences are rooted in the lost illusions we used to share widely before. We celebrated the change of regimes as a victory of democracy and freedom, but we fail to understand that ordinary people had had more simplified, tangible desires. Freedom is important. Democracy is fine but we were looking for a radical increase in our standard of living from these changes on the short term. This was the general hidden expectation towards the changes. These 17 years could prove that freedom and democracy in them do not automatically bring higher salaries, larger consumption, and better quality of public services. It is difficult to accept that while social differences are growing, traditional personal capacities like vocation devalue, and the perceived social security has been replaced by a permanent pressure to adapt. These kinds of widely experienced disappointments are main source of the currently seen disturbances. What can be the response to these challenges? There are two basic or typical approaches. What I am saying is our models. The existing situation is changing from country to country to political movement, political movement. Talking about these models, these typical basic approaches. The first approach, the first one is the reformist modernizer approach. The main target of the supporters of and followers of this approach is to shorten the period of macro adaptation 
and to accommodate the changes in human attitude by initiating deep structural reforms in public services, state administration, market regulation, and so on. Quicker is better might be the slogan of this approach, which reflects the existing and deeply rooted public sentiment called the catching up effect. This modernizer approach is not able to separate itself from the inherited reform tradition, which we called earlier the top-down reform. This means that in the most cases, these structural reforms, at least in the beginning, in their first phase, don't lean on wide social, political consensus and support, but are based on a concentrated government initiatives. The greatest dilemma is how you can enlarge and widen the social support of the reform programs without paying the price of diluting or softening up the original intention. It's obvious that although you may have to power and influence to make the necessary decisions, implementing them, making them work, requires the cooperation of many. The opponents of this approach accuse this line of reform dictatorship and in most cases of betraying the national interest by accepting nature and rules of globalization and also giving up the idea of social justice, equality, solidarity, i.e. the values of the political left. I call the second approach the traditionalist anti-reform approach. This approach is very skeptical about private ownership and market mechanisms, harboring some animosity towards globalization, especially multinational businesses. It represents a defensive and not proactive attitude. They rely on the state to fulfill their policies much more than to give more space for the private sector. In their vocabulary, the representation of the national interest is conflicting with social and economic openness and national pride comes together with the sense of national offense and or national supremacy. The representatives of the anti-modernizer traditionalist approach promise defense against changes to individuals and families and availability of structural reforms in education, healthcare, and the pension system. This approach can be very popular, widely supported on the given historically determined social background, and is able to capture the people's mind, sending them the message that they do not have to do anything for themselves, uh, but the state can provide security and welfare as a Christmas gift. This approach is not only weakening the democratic public sentiment, but rather it directly devastates that while it's already vulnerable. This dichotomy of modernist and anti-modernist, reformist and anti-traditionalist -tradi approaches determines the political and social life in this region. This kind of description provides more unequivocal explanatory power for understanding what's going on than just using the typical instruments of differentiating political wings and players as right left, conservative, liberal, or social democrat. You can find modernizers and also traditionalists on the both sides. 
we, uh, we can even find a left-wing party in our region saying that reforms serves only the interest of the high society, and there are others who are the frontrunners of the reform agenda. There is a very similar situation on the right side. There are some parties which represent brave structural reforms and some others which oppose uh, even just touching the inherited and currently working structures. Let us turn our intention towards Hungary. I made some Hungarian friends here, especially wel welcome them. I, I saw that it's a very short lesson of history would not bore them. Hungary is very proud of its more than 1,100 year long history. However, why the 16th century brought about a new era of modernization for West European countries, like Great Britain. This modernization era was signaled by the discovery of America. At the same time, we Hungarians lost our independence as Hungarian army was defeated by the Ottoman Turks. It happened in the same century. Modernization on the one hand and losing the independence first time in our history on the other hand. Hungary was ruled by foreign empires in the next 400 years until the end of the First World War. Lost independence together with the reluctance of the national elite to open the door to the modernization gradually and permanently increased the distance between Hungary and, for example, Great Britain and France in terms of development of social and economic life. Although we regained our independence in 1918, just very after the First World War, and for a few historical moments we had a chance to catch up with the West, the Second World War ended this process also not independently for some very painful inner reasons. After a three-year-long democratic dream and battles, Hungary became a part of the Soviet communist territory of influence, seemingly preserving its constitutional in independence, but in reality it was less than half independent. 1956 demonstrated how narrow can be the scope of movement for representing the national interests. 1989 found Hungary in a situation in which we were considered to be the happiest barrack, enjoying relatively wide freedom in comparison to the region, possessing a considerable business culture and attitude due to the market-oriented reforms in 1968. But in parallel, we also inherited one of the highest levels of public debt and companies which were unable to, com uh, to compete on open market. During the period of changing regimes, we did our obligatory homework. We adopted a democratic constitution. We gave back the right to the people to live in freedom. We set up independent institution, institutions as a network of guarantees to supervise and to limit the influence of the state over the people's right. We started to pull down the state ownership and privatize our economy. We applied a market-oriented privatization method 
that attracted foreign capital and investors by at the same time offering some financial incentives to Hungarian small and medium-sized companies and entrepreneurs to be involved in privatization. We have also privatized to a very large extent the sectors like insurance, banking, energy, and in some counties and towns also some public utilities like water supply. By the mid-90s, we faced a very serious public finance crisis which was responded to by implementing a very tough austerity package at that time, Socialist Finance Minister, Mr. Bokros. The finally very successful program in terms of macroeconomic equilibrium was also very painful socially, but, which is the most important point for our current subject, it was not able to even touch the social culture, attitude, and the structure of the public sectors, regardless of its original intentions. Bokros was a brave reformist modernizer, but, but after a while, he lost his political backing, not just in the eyes of the public, but also in the government, which made, it possible, which made it impossible for him to continue. His successor, Mr. Medjeshi, who finally became Prime Minister in 2002, introduced the pension reform in 1997, which was the first successful attempt to change the structure of responsibilities, thus motivating the people to accept the idea of taking care of themselves. This pension reform was a singular and unique example of undertaking a reform program without direct and unavoidable pressure while it, while it could touch the people's everyday lives by 2006. In 1998, the Socialist, my party, the party I live now, the and the Hungarian Liberals lost the election and in the next eight years, the fight for power on both sides made the parties too timid to face increasing structural challenges, and they wanted to benefit the people in a very traditional, let me say, the traditional social democratic way to an ever greater extent. People loved the newly implemented housing policy that offered a heavily state-subsidized mortgage, the public cost of which exceeds 1% of the GDP by now. Serious servants admired their uh, uh, salary increases by 50 to 70%, 5-0 and 7-0, not reverse. There was not a single family who would have refused the one month's extra family allowance or a pensioner who would have rejected another month of extra payment. Good news Bad, bad consequences. The parties in government and in opposition tried to outbid each other. Everybody wanted to give more and more to the people. Although there were many signs of the non-sustainability of the budgetary process, none of us was brave enough to draw the final conclusion. We wanted to believe that we could avoid facing the challenges. By the summer of 2006, we had to realize that without a sharp and deep intervention into the public finances, the budget deficit could reach the 11%. It was a sobering recognition. If you have to handle this huge deficit, it is not enough, that, uh, it is, it is not enough to scratch the surface only. 
If you have to cut back the budget by half percentage point of the GDP, you might have a chance, I'm just talking about the chance, to spread the impact evenly. But in our case, having this 11% deficit, uh, uh, this kind of remedy could not be applied. It was time to raise the most important question. Can we make Hungary stronger in terms of its economy and society without reforming the public services like education, healthcare, state administration by reallocating the responsibilities between the people and the state? Whether be brave enough to tell the people that everything we get comes at price, the belief that this price is paid by the state, it's an illusion. It's paid by the taxpayers, the people themselves. How can we make the people understand that their simultaneous intention and expectation to get more but pay less is impossible? For you to understand the public environment, I can tell you that one of the parties promised to the people two things in parallel. We are in 2006 at this point. Decreasing the social security contribution by, by one third and at the same time increasing the amount of social benefits by another extra month. So we, my party and my government, we decided that we should give up the devastating social and political compromise that had characterized our lives in the last years. Namely, we politicians told the people what they wanted to hear, and the people pretended that they believed, but never really held us accountable. Being critical with ourselves, I'm talking about myself also, I have to admit to you that we were braver to act than to talk about what we did and what we wanted to do. In this situation, we applied a twin record method. On the one hand, we introduced a very tough austerity measure program on the budget that mainly focused on decreasing public expenditure complemented by some measures which increased our revenues. The result is very promising. In comparison to the previous mentioned 11% of deficit, we expect a deficit of 6.4 within one year, uh, 6.4 by the end of this year, and there is no doubt that we can go down to 4.1 within one year, while in 2009 we shall achieve the 3.2 target. Just interrupting this written text, I have to tell you the price is very high socially. After 10 years of permanent increase in living of standard, this year the first one, 2007, when the rare wages have decreased or decreasing by more or less 4 or 5 percent. Can you imagine that after years of permanent improve in the life condition, very suddenly, without any uh, advanced notice, something similar comes, sending a message that this route cannot be continued any longer. 
This is the situation, and you can imagine the social and political consequences of that. Going back, a couple of more pages. You are enjoying, I feel. I do also. Uh, again. At the same time, we have been able to reduce significantly the current account deficit. I know that having a track record like ours, observers and analysts ask us what are the guarantees that will not allow the budget to soften up as we approach the election year. The next election year is in 2010. Our determination and commitment is very important, but we would like to build on more than that. Therefore, we are establishing new rules and new institutions for creating very effective obstacles to overspending. We are aware of the fact that if we didn't touch the structural, institutional and regulatory framework, our success would be temporary only. Without structural reforms, the desired budget equilibrium would be lost again. At this point, I should give you a list of the various reforms we have implemented. Before I go into details, I want to tell you that, by my view, we just have one real reform program. It is reforming how we see ourselves as sovereign but responsible individuals and how we see our nation. In the focus of my reform agenda, there is one paramount issue. To wake up my fellow countrymen Make them accept that we make up the country. Hungary cannot be strong and competitive unless we citizens of Hungary are strong and competitive. Hungary derives from us and not the other way around. The country is not a table that everybody can approach and take everything that he or she needs. I know that it sounds very simple, but listening to the voice of the public it seems more difficult than we would like to admit. Let's take a step forward and see the concrete reform steps. We started on ourselves. We cut back the volume of the state administration by decreasing the number of civil servants in the ministries by 20%. We did it in one year. To achieve this goal, we have restructured the institutional framework, the leadership structure of the ministries, and also increased the responsibility of government members. We have made the very rigid labor regulations much more flexible within state administration. We have implemented a performance measurement and assessment program, and we have made the salaries dependent on performance. First time in the last 150 years. The next step is to gradually widen this, the circle of institutions involved in this program. The biggest challenge is the healthcare reform. The Hungarian healthcare system preserved its most important characteristics in the last two decades, and it very much resembles the structure and way how it worked in the communist era. Although we said that our system was based on insurance, Hundreds of thousands of people, it's not a mistake, hundreds of thousands of people who had an income 
did not pay a single penny of contribution and still received services without any limitation and consequences. There was no interest in paying and being honest and fair. The accessibility of services is not fairly regulated. Although we have been speaking about equality, it's widely now phenomenon that any member of the higher society would get much better service than average people or a member of the underclass. Doctors and nurses are underpaid. However, everybody accepts that many of them provide private or semi-private services on state-owned infrastructure and they don't share and don't pay any tax on their revenue that sometimes exceeds their official salary by two to 20 times. There is a strong interest to maintain the huge capacity of hospitals because it provides the source of this private income. The result of this situation was that, that we had almost 50% more active hospital capacity than Germany, and the health budget was overrun dramatically year by year. We had a lot to do. We cut back the capacities, closed down some hospitals. We introduced an 80 uh, pence direct copayment for each visit to the doctor and each day in hospital, kept at 17 pounds per year, except for the poor and for certain services, especially prevention. These are not huge figures, even for a country where the average gross monthly salary is around 500 pounds. It sees the illusion that the service is free of charge and has led to a more conscious attitude. We have strengthened the link between paying one's social security contribution and actual entitlements in order to make the hundreds of thousands of free riders change uh, free, uh, in order to make the hundreds of thousands of free riders change their behavior. Right now, we are in the middle of perhaps the most far-reaching decision that restructures the insurance side of the healthcare system. We preserve the unified social insurance system, but in parallel, we open the door to private players to create an effective link between insurer, the insured, and the service providers. In the field of higher education, we introduced the tuition fee for state-financed students as well. It amounts 290 pounds for an academic year for an undergraduate. We also made institutions compete for the best students, and we obliged the universities to use the funds from the tuition fees for increasing scholarship amounts and modernizing and developing the universities. The main target is increased competition, more responsibility, and improved achievements on the sides of both the students and universities. In the field of public education, the democratic slump has not been matched by a reduction of resources. While the number of pupils has decreased by one-third, the number of schools and teachers has remained unchanged. First of all, it's not a question of money. It's a matter of quality. You cannot provide best quality in schools where 
there are five to eight pupils in a class. Therefore, we have urged and financially support municipalities to cooperate with each other in the maintenance of joint schools, merging the, their capacities, and additionally, we offer a school bus service to pupils. We used to have, we used to have an automatic gas price subsidy system that misled households concerning their cost of energy. In the worst year, as I remember, we spent more or less 1% of our GDP for subsidizing gas price in Hungary. We were giving a direct, direct price subsidy regardless of the real needs, regardless of the social conditions. Uh, this was a good example of the state socialist mindset living on. Everyone considered in that birthright to get gas and electricity at low and fixed prices. As gas and petrol prices have increased in world markets, the low domestic prices cost the Treasury ever more money and made people themselves make wasteful decisions. The worst consequence of this price subsidy system beyond the impact on the budget is that it gives more to those who consume more, which is consequently the wealthier people. We changed this system not to subsidize the price anymore, but to subsidize the families who are in need in a targeted income-dependent way. This is a justifiable and fair change. We launched a complex assault on the grey economy, making sure people, people pay their dues and companies theirs. We do not think that this is a one-time exercise, and we are in a constant dialogue with Hungarian international experts to find the best ways to widen the economy without hurting and insulting the poorest. The higher fines are accompanied by a public awareness campaign under the heading Fair Play. Let me not continue with this. I can hear your question. Is this reform program popular? No, it's not yet, being honest. It is necessary. I am convinced it is. Changing the social attitude contains two phases. In the first phase, we are pulling down the old culture, the old mindset. This causes uncertainty in everyday practice. In the second phase, we start building up new habits and thinking. It requires a long time for the new rules to become commonly shared and accepted. Now we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. We are close to the end of the most painful part of this transformation. The adjustment period involves less and less austerity and more and more progress and development. We are facing a new era of development and investment, investing into education, culture, research, healthcare, in one expression, investing into the people. Using a previous term, we are not simply defending the people, but investing in them. Dynamism without jeopardizing the equilibrium and permanent adaptation. This is our duty and fate. At long fast, I have arrived at the last part of my remarks. You should be happy. It's a future. Let us not try to look too far ahead into the future. Let us pick up the date of 2020. 
Hungary will not be a country that competes with the third world and some Eastern European countries by low taxes, limited social services and cheap labour. On the contrary, it will be one of that offers a well-trained creative workforce and state services that are worth every penny they cost the taxpayers. What we offer will be our, hospi will be our hospitality, our culture, our knowledge, know-how, high-tech and high-value-added services. Another potential we can, another potential we can and we will build on is our location. We are in the center of Europe. Goods will move across Hungary and people will come to meet there. Let me give you a more pedestrian version of my vision too. When you drive east from Vienna or Graz in 2020, presumably to do business in a Hungarian logistical center that it's a hub of European land transport or to give a lecture at one of our academic centers of excellence, or just for a visit at a spa, you will have a hard time to tell whether you are still in Austria or in Hungary. The border guards will have been gone a long time. We will join the Schengen era within, within a weeks, just before the Christmas time. And the road sign is easy to miss. The currency will have been the same for more than six years. Thanks to the modern school system, the people you meet will speak just as good English as the Austrians. <laughs> you met some Austrians, I guess. The fact is that, 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 that uh, I also, and I do have some experience, okay, at the end of the story, we are talking about that. Uh, the way to make sure that you are in Hungary will be the better wine and the spicier food if you will be served once you make a break. At the end of my talk, let me show you something. It's an almost a performance. Ladies and gentlemen, is the Gumbers. The impossible to translate Hungarian name of this mathematical object, officially called the self-writing object in English, refers to the solution to the problem posed by a famous Russian mathematician, mathematician V.I. Arnold. It's to be practiced convex, three-dimensional, homogeneous body <laughs> with just one stable and one unstable point of equilibrium. It is a homogeneous mathematical comeback kit. Never, never in the human history this kind of object has been invented. <laughs> it's very true. It's very true. There are two pieces in life. This is the first, the second in the hand of Mr. Arnold, this Russian mathematician I referred to. I show you this stunning turtle back object, invented in 2006 <laughs> by two young Hungarians, Gabor Domonkos, and Peter Varkoni, because it is a tangible example of the creativity and innovativeness we want to build on our future. <laughs> but also because it gives me a hope. 
trying to find the right way for Hungary leading to modernity and prosperity without giving up our core values of fairness and solidarity does not always come easy. At times it looks almost impossible. That is why the Gumbers always, always cheese me up. According to the editor-in-chief of the journal The Mathematical Intelligence, it's a shape whose impossibility might have been an elegant theorem, but whose existence may be much more elegant. My aim is that in 2020, we'll be able to say that the same about prosperity and equality in Hungary, Central Europe, and in Central Europe and Europe as well. Ladies and gentlemen, many thanks for your attention and literally I'm explaining why it is so fantastic. Thanks <laughs>
I've always I referred to a country uh, which independent history is not longer than 50, 15 years old. We have to be very sensitive. Can we imagine how the people in these or that countries feel that nationalities and people from neighboring countries come and causes a feeling that perhaps they believe that this land which is ours is theirs. Therefore, I am calling all the participants to practice, uh, let me say, uh, both sides uh, sensitivity. Uh, it's very difficult to, 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 to give any response to this question if you are not able to see the humankind, the human beings. Uh, if you haven't had a democratic uh, tradition where we could speak about our feelings, our, uh, this kind of sentiments, uh, it was pushed down. Uh, now I, I, I see that we need a lot of time to understand that having a colorful country in terms of, for example, nationality, it, it's not weakening but reverse, it's strengthening our country. Uh, but we see that it causes some difficulties and challenges in our region. Uh, I do not expect that we can overcome in a very short period of time on these difficulties. When you saw um, Gordon Brown earlier today, I hope you didn't say you thought it was fantastic to be English, because I'm not sure he thinks that at all. Uh, but um, let's, uh, let's take one or, two, one or two more. I will take two or three together. Yes, one down here. If there are many questions, that can be shorter. Okay. <laughs> My name is Sigmund Sternberg. I was born Sternberg Sigmund. And uh, what I would like to tell you, how much you admire that you had the good sense of appointing a businesswoman as your ambassador in this country. <laughs> <laughs> I hope she will stay here for a very long time, and she's not going to get a, an offer which she can't refuse. Uh, what I would like to tell you is that the I'm called an interface leader. And uh, my claim to fame in Hungary is that I've done two things for Hungary. I have formed the Rotary International in Hungary that was just when the Iron Curtain went down and Hungary was the first country where you could form a, a Rotary Club. And since then, Rotary has grown tremendously in Hungary. There are more Rotary clubs in Hungary than in other East European countries. And my second claim is that I formed an interface leadership group in Hungary, which is spreads dialogue between Christians, Jews, and Muslims. But I'm sorry to tell you that uh, anti-Semitism in Hungary is a, a great problem. And... Uh, 
I'm, my organization, the International Council of Christian and Jews, has 36 countries affiliated to it. And we have more complaints about anti-Semitism in Hungary than in any other countries, except possibly in Poland. And my question, <laughs> my question to you is, do you address this problem, and what are you going to do with it? I wanted to ask this question on the last time you were here, but unfortunately I couldn't because you left earlier, and I must, and I must admire you that you are a politician who are willing to speak your mind, and I'm very glad to see you here because I didn't believe that I will see you again here as the Prime Minister. <laughs> Uh, it's one of the most difficult uh, questions because on the one hand it's not easy to judge whether uh, the anti-Semitic uh, the frequency of anti-Semitic uh, phenomena has really increased or the people and the groups who are representing this kind of view became brave enough to come up and show themselves. This is a real dilemma. It's a real dilemma. Uh, we do not have any tangible evidence that the uh, anti-Semitism has grown or has not, but it's obvious, for me at least, that on the surface, looking at the political movements, looking at the slogans on demonstrations, the frequency of anti-Semitic remarks uh, has increased dramatically. Dramatically. Uh, I'm a politician. Uh, I learned the history of the uh, uh, 20th century that there is only one way to fight against it. There is no small anti-Semitism and big anti-Semitism. Just anti-Semitism. And fight against them. Telling them that we, we do not would like to have a country where anybody is punished because of its origin or his or her origin. It's fantastic that we can protect uh, our inheritance regardless what it contains. Uh, I'm talking about uh, this challenge publicly in the Hungarian parliament. I'm calling my partners and my, my rivals uh, to create a unified uh, front against uh, uh, this uh, uh, phenomena. But uh, sometimes I feel that uh, several people and several actors uh, do not share my concern uh, that this is, this is the ugliest uh, face of the 20th century, and we do not have any cause to give them any excuse. 
uh, doesn't matter. Fights and fights and fights. And one more example, which is very interesting. Hungary and all the countries in the region was born in a dream of freedom. It's not an uh, organic uh, development. It's a one-moment decision. And in this enthusiastic moment, uh, we adopted an extremely strict law and regulation to protect, for example, uh, the freedom of speech. Uh, our regulation in this term is much more free than, for example, the uh, uh, German one. If we initiate a regulation according to which it is prohibited saying publicly that all the Jews should be killed, it, it cannot be accepted according to the Hungarian, Hungarian constitution because it's not directly against uh, to any concrete person. Just it talks generally. And uh, this kind of right is protected according to Hungarian law. Now we have initiated the very similar law, uh, law a uh, couple of weeks ago, we were able to push, push through the Hungarian parliament, but now there's a speculation whether the Hungarian president is ready to sign it or it's sent to the Hungarian uh, 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 constitutional court. This is, let me say, a side effect of this uh, 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 revolutionary uh, uh, transformation that we faced in the early 90s. Thank you. Uh, man in the blue and white stripy chair. Yep. My name's Tom. I'm from, um, I, I'm a GTA here. Um, you gave a very interesting talk describing your reforms, which are to a, we to a Western social democrat. I am happy to hear. I was worrying a little bit. <laughs> so it's, it's social, okay. social, social um, but um, your extremely neoliberal um, um, move in your policy. In the circumstances, what Pardon? do you think long-term, when, 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 when it will happen someday, Fidesz are in power again, actually separate your two parties, apart from the fact you have more members of the former regime and Fidesz wasn't in power when the crisis came? What do you see as being the new different ideological differences in Hungarian politics between left and right? Oh, my God. <laughs> um. The party in Hungary, the biggest party in Hungary, which considers itself as a right-wing party, as a conservative party, does not represent any conservative approach in a macroeconomic policy, in a most important, most influential social policies at all, on the one hand. On the other hand, we Hungarian social democrats and, and socialists are accused by many times that we are too liberal, we are too market oriented, we are not ready to regulate the market, we are welcoming the private players and uh, private initiatives uh, with a great openness and um, uh, we should go back to the old tradition of the social democrats. Uh, 
Uh, I do not agree with this accusation. If I look at my reform agenda and my program, on the one hand, having an economy in equilibrium is not left or right wing intention. This is a precondition for having a country which is competitive. Uh, on the other hand, I was talking about, uh, for example, the healthcare reform. My friends, the fact is that, that although we are speaking about equality in the Hungarian health system, uh, who does have a higher influence in terms of the local society, leaders, businessmen, directors of the schools, and so on, they might have a better services if you would like to change it, given that we have to create an accessibility on equality basis. I think it's a very fair, let me say, left-wing intention approach. Or uh, in the Hungarian uh, uh, higher education system, we have had a separated uh, system, the private universities and the state-financed uh, universities. Uh, and it, the, originally, the, you have to pay a very large tuition fee in the private universities and almost nothing in the state universities. Uh, and it turned out that the uh, children of the, let's say, high societies is very, very overrepresented in a, let me say, uh, cheap or free of charge state universities and the public universities where you have to pay a lot. You meet much more pupils coming from uh, 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 the low-income families. Why? Because the pupils from the low-income families uh, have collected so many disadvantages by the age of 18 when they are applying for, uh, 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 applying for the universities that they are not able to uh, step into the universities. Opening these two paths, breaking up this frozen structure, creating a competitiveness between them. Uh, I think it's a real left-wing intention. Uh, the biggest problem that if you get used to have uh, the situation in which uh, the public uh, goods does not represent any value and price, and you say that if something is free of charge, it doesn't represent a value in the eyes of the people. Therefore, we have to create uh, a new situation. It, it causes a, a lot of debates and sometimes objections. Uh, but I have to tell you that I'm very positive. Uh, uh, I, I hope that the people uh, 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 start to understand but this is the only way how the uh, country can work, although I do have some uh, debates in my party. But, you know, 
if I was the chairman of the Hungarian conservative, biggest conservative party, it would create, it would create uh, much more, much more debates. We are on the reformer side. This is, as I mentioned in my, my lecture, this is the real division line in our region, not left or right. Who, is, who are the modernizer and who are the anti-modernizer? Who are the modernist and who are the traditionalist? We are the modernizer and, and I think the reformist. This is our credo. And several people have caught my eye on the top, so I'm going to take three or four together. First of all, the woman right at the back in brown. Hi, my name is Alison Johnson with the European Institute. Um, it has been reported that your government is proposing to bring in private medical insurance, yet as international experience has shown, particularly in the United States, private medical insurance leads to gaps in coverage, under provision of the uh, vital treatments for some of the insured and exploding costs. And I was wondering why you and your government have decided to go the opposite direction of all other EU countries, including Great Britain, for, on this particular issue. And how are you uh, planning on addressing the problems associated with private health care insurance? Thank you. Uh, man with a stripy tie, second row. Uh, good evening. My name is uh, Zeka Andash. And... Um, I would like to ask two questions, if I may, shortly, regarding uh, competitiveness, both in the topic of competitiveness, and also a short story next to it. Um, I work for a hedge fund based in London. I met with uh, a Turkish ex-governor of the central bank, and when he heard that I'm Hungarian, uh, he said, oh, finally I'd meet someone who's coming from a country that has worse macroeconomic figures than I do, <laughs> and also, which is least competitive. And my question would be that, uh, the, the society is uh, suffering a big uh, uh, two-year shock. But are you not giving up the long-term uh, opportunity to improve our competitiveness by reducing taxes and reducing both the expenditure side of the budget, not just increasing uh, taxes and increasing the revenues? And the second question is, uh, I also met a Central European property developer who asked me, do I know what's the difference between Russia and Hungary? And I said, no. And he said the difference is that in Russia you have to bribe the top official, the middle official, the lower official, and even the secretary. The good thing about Hungary, it's enough to bribe the top guys and it takes care of the rest. <laughs> and, and, and this is also a competitive issue because there are some people who can manage through this web and there are some people who say, all right, I'll, I'll, take, I'll, I'll keep a distance and I'll go to a country where I don't need to learn the local, local stuff. Thank you. Okay. Can you pass them along uh, the fourth one along? We have a tradition in this country called cash for questions, so I'll take your payment afterwards for having chosen. Jó estét kívánok miniszterelnök úr, Fekete Péter, és a into English. Having heard your speech and lecture, I have the impression that uh, you're a forerunner of reforms in the Central and Eastern European region. My first question would be, uh, how would you justify uh, the Hungarian Parliament's recent decision of the so-called Lex Mole, uh, which actually made it a bit difficult for the Austrian uh, counterparty uh, to, to take it over, probably on the medium term, basically in this case, politics uh, interfering in the market economy. My second question is, sorry, more a personal side. Uh, I'm sure there's a few Hungarian people around who decided to come to London a few uh, years ago to pursue opportunities. Uh, have your government or are considering uh, to try to make these people 
go back home on the longer term. And write to, you know, probably uh, similar to what Mr. Sarkozy did, uh, another Hungarian descendant, before his election when he came to London and speaking in front of a few thousand uh, French uh, expatriates and trying to convince them to go back to France and to grow the, the French GDP rather than using the, the UK one. Thank you. Okay. What do you do with those? <laughs> the five questions, I try to be as short as I can. Uh, the first question about uh, transforming the Haskell school system. We do not would like to privatize the health insurance system. It's a misunderstanding or misinterpretation. We would like to preserve the unified uh, health insurance system. It is unified because the most important pillar, and it's not a subject of the market decision and evaluation, because the most important pillars of this system is determined and uh, it's adopted by the Hungarian Parliament, like in the future the Hungarian Parliament would decide about the level of the obligatory uh, social contribution payment, payment of the social contribution. It's not a subject of the market consideration and market com uh, uh, competition, uh, which we are doing. Inviting new companies organizing the link between the insurers, insured, and the service providers representing the insurers, their interest, checking that they got what they have ordered and they have paid uh, for, bringing a new institution which is not interested, it will be the first player in our system, which is not interested in paying more, but interested in increasing the clarity and paying just for those what we get. These, uh, let me say, meat companies are working under the state majority with a joint decision-making process with the private owners. It's not a privatization. It's a restructuring process using the private force and initiatives. We do not want to have a free market on insurance side of the Hungarian health system. Reducing the taxes. Um, the second question. I just was, was mentioned that we were facing the 11% uh, budget deficit. Uh, perhaps you have not realized that uh, uh, I was the Prime Minister before the previous election which, which government at least partly responsible for this huge loss. 
one of my one of my biggest mistake I can admit to you uh, that in 2006 from the beginning of 2000 and uh, 2005 from the beginning of 2006 we have implemented a very wide tax reform mainly it contained a significant tax reduction uh, it, it had a great contribution to this 11% of deficit we know the lesson. Uh, the first is creating equilibrium, creating an economy with a high growth, and if you have this situation, you can boost your economy with further steps, not just talking about tax deduction, but improving the business environment, Improving the state the quality of state administration, improving the infrastructure in terms of physical infrastructure, in terms of quality of human resources, and so on. Uh, now we are very close to this equilibrium, and we are raising a question: whether can we reduce in a targeted way some? Taxes. Uh, I, we are not considering on uh, uh, tax reduction on a very wide, very large front, but uh, decreasing the burden on wages and uh, decreasing some burden on, cam on companies, it is considerable. Uh, we are open to do that. Uh, but, for example, which is very popular in our region, uh, flat rate tax. We do not would like to introduce something similar. Uh, I, um, black economy. Uh, if is there anything which harms to the economy and to the democracy is this double value, that there is an official word and there is a word behind. Uh, we, we can uh, call it a black or grey economy. In a Hungarian reality, I have to tell you that there is a very important point in this story. Uh, this is that we are not, we, uh, we haven't been ready to face the situation in which we have not financed uh, 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 the operation of democracy as a part of it we have not financed officially our parties uh, and uh, some very bad very, very awful process started that more and more people believed that the parties must not be, it's impossible to uh, finance in an official way. It means that something has to happen in the political arena 
And if it's possible in the politics, we do have also a right uh, to manipulate or, or to doctor. Um, therefore, uh, one of my most important intention to change the party financing system. Now it's in the parliament uh, causing many, many debates and many turbulence in my party in, and in opposition, uh, bringing the accusation uh, on my head that it's a very populist approach, saying that if you are not ready to change the system, I, to, I told to my MPs in the Hungarian parliament, I turn to the people initiating a referendum in Hungary because this uh, uh, tradition cannot be continued uh, any longer. Uh, if, we are using, uh, if we are using uh, figures, uh, the grey economy uh, is uh, more or less about 18% in Hungary. Uh, it's the same figure, more or the same figure than in Slovakia, it's 17. In Czech Republic, 15. It means that our region uh, 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 is uh, is poised uh, by this kind of uh, phenomenon and uh, we have uh, uh, a lot to do. Uh, it's my, it's my, uh, one of the first uh, duty. Lex more. I, I, I guess that you are not very familiar, but, but perhaps you have heard about uh, the debate between the Austrian oil company called ÖFO and the Hungarian oil company called uh, uh, MOL. I am regularly asked why we are protecting the Hungarian oil company more and what uh, and, and, and don't let it be uh, uh, owned by uh, foreign entrepreneurs. My answer always is it's not true. We have privatized the mall. The mall is in the hand of, of private investors, funds and other companies. But in this case, we are not speaking about private investors because Behind the ÖFO, the Austrian company, you find the Austrian state. And uh, I would have to be very honest. It's impossible that we privatizing the Hungarian oil company and other state comes confidentially, a little bit secretly, not publicly, not sending a message that Frank, I'm a Frank, Frank, we would like to go to Hungary and take over uh, the mall and uh, try to buy my company. We are privatizing, privatizing and they are uh, nationalizing. It's not nice. It's not nice. <laughs> At least, I can say. Uh, if, if we would like to nationalize the Hungarian mall company, we would like to have a right to choose who would be the owner, which state uh, should be the uh, uh, owner. Um, and you know I don't know who asked me you know many 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 the market is not totally free and mainly the strategic sectors like energy it's extremely important can you imagine that Great Britain let France to control <laughs> each energy sector <laughs> Mr. Sarkozy we have 
These are companies, not the state. Electricité de France runs our electricity in this town. In some part. In London. In some part. In some region. In some region. They do it quite well, actually. No. What, what was the law? You, you did have... About one. getting people to go back home. Yeah. Uh, hun, hun, Hungary would be a better place to live and to work. Uh, if the people create a better country. It's very, it's very fine to regulate a country in the other way, how we did. It's very fine reforming the healthcare. It's very fine constructing uh, new motorways. All is fine. But finally, at the end of the day, our fate is depending on the people who are living in Hungary. It's not very unique. This is the same how, I guess, you think about these things in Great Britain and so on. Uh, it's extremely difficult. It's extremely difficult to keep the people when you are comparing your salaries. Uh, it's not enough just to tell you that you are extremely welcomed. You almost laughed. I am personally ready to write a letter to you and to your girlfriend, to all of your girlfriends. Uh, but, but finally, you ask me, okay, Prime Minister? Monthly payment? It's not bad. Uh, if you can pay three times more than you said now, please write a new letter. And just to me, because to girlfriend is not necessary. Uh, uh, th this is the real problem, uh, that uh, there are huge differences between the living of standard, between the different parts of uh, uh, Europe, and on the one hand, we should catch up, but within the circumstances where uh, a significant part of the brightest Hungarian uh, young people leave Hungary, although just in the bracket. Uh, sometimes it's misunderstood when I'm, I'm speaking about that. I would like to call my rivals at home in opposition. Please do, please do misunderstand what I'm saying. Uh, Hungary, on the one, one hand, is very lucky because more people from Great Britain work in Hungary than reverse. It's not Poland. 800,000 Polish people uh, work here. And not uh, Lithuania, when from the significant part of the young generation uh, left uh, uh, Lithuania for West European countries. But on the other side, it's very important that you come you collect, you gain new experience, but you should come back sooner or later because we would like to uh, uh, get some advantage from your knowledge and your capacities. Okay, I am, I am sending a letter. Please. <laughs> Thank you. Prime Minister, we've run well over time and your dinner is waiting, but the chair of the Hungarian Society, an example of one of your young people who's currently over here, uh, Silvia Bor, or as you would say, Bor Silvia, um, is going to thank you.
and give you an embarrassing gift. <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is a great honor and privilege to be called upon to propose a vote of thanks to our Prime Minister. On behalf of the Hungarian students and the Hungarian society at the LSC, I would like to thank you, Mr. Gyurcsány, for accepting the invitation of the school and delivering your lecture. Uh, we hope that this lecture will be followed by many others at LSE representing our country and our region. And please accept this for memorial um, of the school, a baseball hat. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it's the right size. Once in my life, I tried to put on this kind of but that hat, it's awful, I have to tell you. <laughs> I do not fit to it, but never mind. I'm sure it will suit you. <laughs> and a small special gift from the Hungarian Society, the LSE cufflinks for you. <laughs> it's gold. <laughs> And um, the certificate of the school, yeah. which uh, Mr. I graduated here, yes. Is going to present to you. Yes, I have to give it to you. I have to give it to you because it's signed by me. It's not a degree, so you don't have to pay. No. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. You perhaps saw that it's a joke when I was uh, uh, speaking about that. The fact is that it's not a joke. Uh, it's not easy to figure out in which way this extreme form can change these or that technologies. But since the time it is presented on the internet, perhaps it's a, not a state secret I'm saying to you, or the departure of the American army sent a message to know the secret. It's almost impossible to create something like that. Uh, you do not believe me. Okay. <laughs> you should bet on. But... Um, because it's a very limited something and it's uh, under some legal defense now. How should I tell it more seriously? Like, I don't know. Uh, I will give you Rubik Q. Rubik Q. I don't know whether you try it or not. It's uh, extremely challenging, even if it contains not a full part, but just three. Uh, it's not easy at all. Uh, I would like to wish the good luck to solve this problem. Many, many thanks for your kindness and invitation. I hope that you could enjoy this evening. Thanks a lot to you. Thank you.